Hello, members. I'm Jen Bosher. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 26, and our book is Fabius Bile, Primogenitor, by Josh Reynolds. The book is about Fabius Bile in the 34th millennium as he and a former protege attack an Eldar craft world. We posted several questions to our on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read this book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and come back to this episode as we're going to be discussing it from start to finish in great detail. Let's dive in. First and foremost, did you like Fabius Bile? That's like a hard question to answer. It really is. Because I did, and then the ending happened, and I was just, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think I was, I think I texted you about halfway through, and I was like, I am loving this book. And then I got to the end, and I was like, oh, okay. It was, it was good. I mm -hmm. liked it. Um, it's much more of a character study than it is a, like an, it's not really trying to tell a story so much as trying to introduce you to these characters and really this almost felt like a Fabius Bile apologist book. <laughs> bear with me, bear with me. No, no, I'm laughing because I, I, I know where you're going because I agree with well, it. Right, but also because they really are trying to introduce you to him as a character and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I felt like a lot of the book was Josh Reynolds going, stay with me. Okay, he's funny, he's snarky, he's sassy, which he is all of those things. And I've decided that Fabius Bill, Fabius Bile Sass might be my new favorite sass. Um, there ain't no sass like the Fabius Bile Sass. Especially because you don't know if you're going to live at the end of it. <laughs> right? I actually read this whole book aloud to my husband because that's where we've reached. This is the point we've come to in the quarantine, you guys. And this is our entertainment. And there were times where I would read lines and he and I would both just crack up because, <laughs> okay, dude. Um, but it really felt like it was him setting the stage for, hey, this is not just this wicked, despicable character. He is, he is kind of a wicked, despicable character, but he has a personality. He's not the, you know, black and white right villain villainous character that he mm -hmm. gets pasted as from the horse heresy because he even talks about talks about the heresy a lot and mm -hmm. he pretty much admits yes i was that black and white villain like i was going destruction and then we get to tara and i'm just like what are we doing <laughs> this is stupid <laughs> i so I always hated Fabius Bile because of my one of my favorite Horus Heresy books, which is Angel Exterminatus by uh, Graham McNeil. I feel as though if you read that book, you're either going to come out Team Filgrim or Team Perturbo. I'm definitely the latter. Um, so I always hated Fabius Bill because he, y'all, he's just going to be Bill for the rest of the night. Yeah, okay. okay I'm you know sorry. What? I'm fine with this because I, I don't like saying Bile. Let's just say Bill. I don't either. You guys, I say bile and like, I can... Yes, same here. Yeah, yeah, in the back of my throat. Anyways, so Bill, um, he's awful in that book. And it's when he's starting to like experiment with the noise marines and all of that stuff and just doing his experiments because he can. And you walk out of that book, 
that book is the book at which Fulgrim ascends to demonhood and Bill is the most despicable character in the book. That should tell you something. But, which is why I went into this yeah. book and I was like, mm. I was going to say like, so I started hating on um, Bill. I'm trying to remember which book this is because when we get to the Istvan stuff, like it all kind of runs together. I think it was the Fulgrim book because that was the book that really got into Lucius and Saul, I think. Okay. So, and it was when Saul had a chance, like Eidolon brought him to Fabius to have a chance to, you know, improve. And he sees what Fabius is doing and he notices that Fabius is not doing anything on himself. And it's at that point, I'm just like, wow, that's really convenient. You're putting everybody else under your experiments, but you're doing nothing to yourself. So either you think you are already perfect or you aren't sure what you're doing. And you're, this is right. literally guinea pigs that you are working on. Or it could have been a combination of both, to be honest. It could have. He felt in those days, in the Heresy Era books, I feel as though... He's definitely portrayed more as that Dr. Frankenstein, I'm doing this because I can to defy the laws of nature, uh, mad scientist type of guy. Type of guy. And I don't want to say that he's not still Dr. Frankenstein-y. Oh, he is. He is, <laughs> definitely. But he's lost that kind of, uh, I don't know if you, if you can picture the classic movie scene with the dentist. <laughs> Will it hurt? Um they um that's kind of what he used to be and now he's a little more refined i guess is a good word for it i don't know you guys i'm really trying to wrap my head around how i feel about bill at the end of this book again he's sassy let's progress because we've got a whole lot of questions to crack <laughs> open to crack open this weird egg because there's a lot to talk about here. So let's start with what stuff, what parts really stood out to you, good or bad? Well, there was like a lot of things that, that, you know, stood out to me. And it was a lot of um, introspect into the third from both yes. Fabius and Oleander. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I, most of my notes was like, you know, Biles remin reminiscence of Abaddon ruining his Primarchs, mainly because that was funny. Uh, Bill's thought on demons, Bill's sass at destruction of his mutants, you know, um, the Bill saying the saga of the third is a proud warrior reduced to ruin. Some of his insight into the third, I, I mean, I think that's most of the lines that I wrote down mm -hmm. at the check my notes here, but I, uh, I think that was most of the lines I wrote down because he had some stuff that I was like, it true. I can't, can't argue with that. Right, but something that he mentions like a lot is he talks about his disgust of Fulgrim. He, he barely, he rarely even says his name. He just says our gene father or, you know, the Phoenician or mm -hmm. um, he's like, yes, I was there and I witnessed how crazy everything was. And Right. Um, you know, it's just seeing that we, but he really noticed that the third lost their way in terms of seeking perfection they went the wrong direction in right. seeking it and you know 
Um, because then I loved Bill's comment on that at the very end when Oleander's like, I need you to bring the third back, like make the third great again. And he's like, he's like, you know, if I could, I would rewrite all of history, redo it so I could make the third perfect. But you know how it is now? You can't perfect the dead. Well, I loved that too, because it's a common refrain in a lot of the traitor books. So like in the Night Lords trilogy, there's a character named uh, Mercutian and he spends, he and Talos both really talk about regaining the glory of the Eighth Legion. And Zarl, my favorite, is like, we never had a glory. I was there for the days. We never, there never was a glory days for us. And um, you see that in a lot of the traitor novels. It keeps coming up, this idea of, well, we need to go back to what we were and someone will inevitably be, inevitably be like, there never was that. Uh, I think you, that was in the Black Legion books as too. I think when the world eaters were talking, um, the Orvine makes a comment about how, yeah, we never really were a strong brotherhood. Well, you can't have a strong brotherhood when you don't have a strong father. <laughs> the only Primarch that needed to be rescued. Um, <laughs> So I have to say one of the things you mentioned, and it's my favorite line in the entire book, and it's on page 43, and it's when he's talking about Abaddon destroying his workshop, and he calls Abaddon an overzealous thug wearing his gene father's hand-me-downs. <laughs> Ouch. I got a good snicker out of that. <laughs> I read that, and my husband and I both went, <laughs> that's just a gut punch that's probably my favorite line in the entire book because it's just you know and i understand why he's being very petulant about it but i'm sorry dude you were trying to make the primarchs and you had him like these really weird disgusting demon forms they needed to go yeah they needed to go i i don't agree with a lot that abaddon does but that was good mm -hmm. the, the imperium owes him like a christmas card <laughs> A sanguinala card, box of candy. I don't know, something for that. Because that was no bueno. Well, maybe, you know, that's one reason why Sigismund was out there waiting. He had the thank you card. That's right. He was just like, here's our thanks. Death. <laughs> I, I think they're just a little too angry still. Probably. Well, so let's talk about why this book was particularly interesting in terms of our book selections. First off, it's populated entirely by unlikable characters. Yeah. Did it make it hard to connect with any of them for you? Connect as in, do I understand where they're coming from? No, I did not connect because <laughs> I saw them all, including Bill being childish babies, even the Eldar. For as ancient as they are, childish babies. You only say that because they sing and dance and talk and rhyme. No, I would say that in anyway, because it just reminded me so much of, um, you know, the introduction with the Cabal and Legion, you know, when, um, oh, I, you know, one of these days, I need to write this guy's name down, because I've talked about him a few one. times, and I can't remember his name. But basically, the head of the Eldar, he was... Isn't it Ulthwan? Sure. We'll just say that. You know, 
that you know he was he warned Altharius of what was coming to the future and talking about you know the, the whole cabals like you know you guys were being children childish back then you guys couldn't go and talk to anybody you had to go play your stupid little games off in the corners uh, to try to make a better future or whatever and where has that gotten you kind of like the inquisition I, just, I agree. Saying. I agree. I agree. It, I liked some of the characters. I loved Zemiskis. I liked Arian a lot because, you know, I always love my spicy world eaters. Um, but they weren't particularly... So when you compare this to something like Lords of Silence, which... Lords but there of was Silence, a likable character in that. There were several, actually. Well, I mean, not just, I mean, not of the Marines. You know, there was that poor captain. God. A moment of silence to pour one out. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah. I mean, he was a very likable character. I can't. Very much. I can't say that anybody else is really likable. Um now, did I do like a slow clap for Vorks at the end? Kind of like at the end of the movie Illusionist? You know, just like, right. well done. Well done, man. There's a reference. <laughs> yes, no, it for sure. You got to the end and we're like, oh shit, man. I, I actually found Vorks to be a little more likable. And I can explain why. Vorks... If you recall, there's that section in the beginning when Borks talks about why they do this. And he's like, look, you guys didn't grow up on Barbarous. It was a shithole and we were screwed on that planet. Mortarian saved us and we will go wherever Mortarian said because we are forever in his debt for that. So he had like this, he had the same, the strange principle. And the fact that he just wanted to stay at home and study diseases all day. Like I didn't necessarily just because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, well, I liked him. I, well, but there's I a Wreck-It Ralph reference for the night. Right. Well, like, I didn't approve of what he was doing, but I, I found him to be very interesting. Bill's arrogance. God, his arrogance. And we're going to talk a lot about that later, but it made it really hard. Like, there were a lot of times where I, he was talking and I was like, get over yourself now it's not bad writing no no i no. think it's 100 percent in with his character and i think actually in a lot of ways i think it's great because i had it's a good sign it's a sign of good writing because i had such a you reaction to him right um well, i guess also the thing with vorks is that vorks had that sense of loyalty like you were saying like with mortarian and he will do whatever mortarian says you notice that you know Bill and Oleander both are Terran. Yes. They don't have that loyalty to Fulgrim with the way that Radiant, the Radiant does, because he would talk about how Fulgrim saved them at Chemos. Yep. And that's one reason why he wanted to ascend to Demonhood to be with Fulgrim again and bring, you know, get him out of his isolation slumber. All you have to do is like knock on Fulgrim's door and just be like, um, your brother's awake? <laughs> You didn't kill him? These bitches ain't loyal. But you know what? Honestly, I think 
that is a little of a dislikability for them where I'm like, you know, and a lot of it was Bill's arrogance too. I, so let's silence that a little bit. Bill's a strange little bird. So we've talked a little bit how he has little respect for his former legion or his Primarch. There was an odd thing in here though. I did like how every time he meets an old, like when he was on the Radiant ship and he would see someone and he's like, I know this guy. There was a sadness to him, right? Where he's like, yeah, I remember you. You were the captain of this company or you were this or you were that. Mm -hmm. And even though he's very in your face with the Radiant constantly calling him Kasparos, the others, he's just kind of like, I do know you. Like with Elian, the mm -hmm. noise marine. There's, he doesn't seem to respect them at all. And yet when he sees them, he has this, oh, yeah there, i mean i i definitely saw, saw some of that but i almost didn't see it as like being sad as more of like so yeah just remember me i repaired your second heart on this battle and <laughs> look at these things i did for you I actually really did like that though where he's like yeah you owe me because i fixed your fucking heart you owe me because you can see now <laughs> it seems so very within bill's character <laughs> Well, I mean, Bill, if nothing else, is a survivalist. Yes. And he will pull all the stops to survive. Yes. At the end of the world, there will be Cher, cockroaches, and Bill. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, so here's the thing that I found really interesting and surprising. I knew that Bill was not down with the gods. I knew that. No, but I really liked his take on the demons was interesting wasn't it it was very interesting because i could i don't think he's 100 percent correct but i think there's a lot there i don't think he's correct either but he's not entirely wrong either no i would say he's probably about 70 percent correct just because going off of what iskander kane has said about them you know about them being fed off of emotions or they're created mm -hmm. by your emotions right but that doesn't mean that they're not necessarily real like exactly. when he's talking with that when he's talking with uh canathera the first keeper of secrets and he's just like you're a figment like it's gonna it's gonna kill some people like it's pretty real <laughs> on some hands he reminds me of there's this book series they actually made it into a tv series i did not very much care for it it's called the strain there's a character in there who's a scientist and as vampires are taking over the world, he keeps saying, it's just a virus. It's not vampires, it's a virus. Even though constant, constant, irrefutable proof that this is not just a virus keeps getting thrown in his face, he just sticks with the, no, it's not a vampire, it's a virus. So he actually is a very dumb character in that way. In some ways, it kind of reminded me of that with Bill because, but obviously done much better because I mean, he's, with all that he's seen and all that he's experienced, he has a demonist in his cadre. And he still is just like, nah, nah, it's, it's not really real. I mean, he witnessed Fulgrim, as he said, trade in his legs. Yeah. Right. I don't know how you don't believe that demons exist after seeing that. Right. I, yeah. So, that was the thing that struck me is that he basically 
holds to the imperial truth. There are no gods. Right. There are a lot of comparisons between him and the emperor. They're not lost. Like, uh, I even wrote down one like near the end of the book, like page 264. I, we actually have different pages because mine's paperback. Um, oh. I noticed that when you said the page for uh, about what Bill said about Abaddon ruining his oh, project. Oh, right, right. Okay. So, but he, this one, Oleander, like, Oleander has a nice dressing down of, of Bill at, you know, n- near the end. When, um, when he says, well, what is your consortium? It's like, well, they're, they're my, they're, they're students. And he's like, no, that's, that's your own little army. You see the, you see all of us is no better than tools. I'm like, Hmm. Same thing that Reboot said about his own father. Yep. Arian is definitely his favorite hammer. Yes. Just as Gulliman is the Emperor's. Right. Yeah. It, uh, we'll talk more about that because there's definitely a lot of stuff in there. But the fact that of all the things, all the things pre-heresy you cling to, is the imperial truth. I found that very interesting. Because again, just... like I think of it is because he was Terran born. It could be. But I think it also just could be that... Because he's talking about like with the warp stuff where he's just like, no, this is all dumb. Science is what we want. Science is what will lead us. After all you've seen and done. It was such You're... a weird thing. How long have you been living in the eye? You've been in iSpace for how long? And you're like, oh yeah, no, no. But, but, he is such, if you had to pick one characteristic to define Bill, I would say arrogance. Um, I think he's so arrogant that he is, he's written off a lot of his demon stuff as, oh, this is other people's weakness and other people's emotion. If it were up to me, there'd be no demons because I, I don't go into these weak emotions that everybody else is going in for. So maybe that's how he justifies the being in the ice space with all the demon activity. Just like, oh yeah, it's because of all these other weak motherfuckers around me. Could be. I could absolutely see Bill making that type of rationalization because he is... He's an arrogant little man, isn't he? Speaking of arrogance... <laughs> the meat of our conversation, I imagine. Don't say meat. Oh, God, seriously. <laughs> no. We read a book about the Death Guard, Lords of Silence. We read a book which kept, which literally described men sloshing in their armor as they walked, and buboes, and drop, dropping metric tons of literal shit onto a mechanicus vessel okay that and was just, just funny that was just really funny but right like we read what would you might call a nasty ass book i i can't tell you how many times i cringed in this book or was just like oh god oh god i gagged with, with the chair okay so oleander is like a monster is he an apothecary or is he, you know, a furniture maker? Why can't we have both? That's apparently what he thought. 
<laughs> it just won't do to have this chair just be, you know, draped in human skin. Let's keep these people still alive and constantly <laughs> facing each other and screaming. So awful. Anyways, so the uh, the main, so the, the crux of our, anyways, big conversation coming in. Fancy word. Um, Bill casts a lot of aspersions on the Emperor and, or excuse me, on Fulgrim and the Radiant for wanting to be demigods, right? There are no gods, blah, 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 blah. The Emperor had a bad plan. The entire book, the entire book, his motivation is wanting to single-handedly reshape humanity in his image, thus achieving godlike status. First off, let's, let's ask this one question. Do you think he keeps talking about how he wants to better mankind? I don't know how. I guess by making the perfect human, right? Like when you look at Agori, she's going to be very strong. She's going to be very durable, um, which a space marine would definitely consider strength and durability to be obviously the defining characteristics of a perfect person, right? And I'm not saying that wouldn't necessarily be it but i found that interesting but do you think he has good intent i don't know because i don't know what he's trying to do i don't fully understand what he's trying to do i don't understand who he's doing it for aside from himself i think that's the answer i think he's hiding behind oh i'm doing this for mankind Well, I mean, this I mean, that goes back to his experiments with the third, you know, uh, heresy and just a little bit, you know, pre-heresy when he's constantly, mm-hmm. you know, he's improving upon them because he finds these substances and these other Xenos and he's just like, oh, that could be fun. What could that do? Right. He's definitely trying to create the Chimera. Right, where he's, he's, just, he's making toys is what he's doing. He's just tinkering with toys that happen to be living, breathing things. Yeah. Well, and I think he's probably. <laughs> we're just gonna make all sorts of '90s movies references. Um, I think he's, as they said in Jurassic Park, he's so wrapped up in whether or not he can. He doesn't really seem to look at whether or not he should. Okay, so he actually like talks about, uses those exact E.M. Malcolm verbiage. Where he said back, he even says it back then, I didn't wonder if I should. He's like, now we need to wonder, you know, just because we can, should we? And just because we should, can we? He says it. And yet, does he actually, he preaches it. Does he actually practice it? I don't think he practiced half of what he preaches. Yes, I would agree with that. There's a lot of things that he says. So one of the funny things to me is that for all of his introspection, right? And all of his comments that he makes and all these other people and how he pinpoints everyone else, he doesn't really seem to turn that eye inward very often. Yeah, he does, but not about things he needs to. I mean, some some he did, like he admits, I made a mistake. We, Mm -hmm. whatever happened with the terror, like that was stupid and we should not have done it. We should not have listened to Horace. We should just continue doing what, what we were doing. I mean, he admits that. 
But was that his mistake solely? But that's about all he really admits to making mistakes in is is yeah. that. And but that but I'm sorry, at that time, do you think he if if he had that insight back then and he told Fulgrim we shouldn't do this, do you think Fulgrim's going to let you get away with that? He's got a talking sword, man. Yeah. He already killed his best friend. He's got no problems killing his chief apothecary, too. None at all. Mm-mm. Right. So, it's funny to me, though, that he's just like, oh, these people who want to be gods. And yet he wants himself to basically be the, the father of mankind. Look at which... your vatborn man. Look at your gland humans that you've made. You're being a god. You are creating well, and yet, have you noticed that with all of his people, all of, he talks so much about wanting to better mankind, and yet one of the things he both loves, but also is a little concerned about with Agori, is how inquisitive she is and how curious she is. And he talks about how he's like, yeah, I specifically built that out of most people, but it just kind of naturally progressed in you. But everybody else is very subservient and mm-hmm. doesn't really talk back and doesn't they're all super aggressive, which is what he wants, really. But they're not actually people people. They're really just servants right, to him. So I say again, how does he not realize that he just wants to be this god with all of his little people made of clay? Because of his arrogance. Oh, he's so arrogant. So arrogant. And, and yet, it's really... He's very charismatic. So there are times where he's talking about how, oh, I want to make this better future for humanity. And I want to do all these better things and lead humanity forward. I mean, that'd be cool. That's great. But you never say what. You never say what you're trying to do. And just saying I'm trying to make things better for humanity is not saying what you're trying to do. That's just saying your end goal in mind. Is it possible, though, and I kind of get this impression with Bill, that he's kind of like the underpants gnomes? He has... <laughs> Bear with me. No, 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 I, no, I'm, no. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. He has step one, yes. start experiments. <laughs> step three, profit. Humanity's in a better place. But step two is kind of a gray area. Right. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, he says, well, I'm, I'm going to put the humanity in a better place. Okay. How? Or are you just going to keep experimenting until you find something you like? Like a gory, strictly an experiment that just happened to really work. It'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think we're going to find out, though, the rest of the trilogy is maybe like what yeah. his process is is going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this was definitely, well, it's not even his beginning trail, but this does seem to be the beginning of his okay, I have a much bigger scheme than just messing around to mess around. And yet he's still just kind of messing around to mess around. Well, right, because at the very end, he's like, you guys think I need to be going down this one path. Well, I don't. I make my own decisions. And I don't mm-hmm. want to be lieutenant commander again. I'm, right. I'm done with that. I want to keep playing with my toys. Right. So... We're going to jump ahead in our questions a bit because I think it's theory time. Mm. So we know that he wants to improve humanity, supposedly. Mm. 
what in the future could the Harlequins have possibly seen him doing? Like, what do you think would be so terrifying to them that they would be like, okay, we've got to like mobilize and get this guy to stop. We know it's not cloning Primarchs because he already gave that up. I think it's one of two things for the Eldar to be this upset. One, he figures out a way to wipe out all the Eldar. Or something happens where he does end up wiping out all the Eldar. Or It could be because he does learn a lot from them having been on that craft world. Mm -hmm. And he kind of takes a few of them. Takes their spirit stones, you know, things like that. Or does he create Eldar-human hybrids? That would be more likely my guess because he definitely... The Eldar have a lot going for them, right? In right. terms of a race, because they're space elves. Um, I they mean, live forever. Right. Mm -hmm. They're very lift. They're very, they have all these really cool things that they can do. Um, yeah. Oh, God. Can you imagine? They'd have too many teeth like the Eldar. And Robbie G and Avrain are already trying to do that on their own. You know, there's this fantasy series, this fantasy trilogy I read that was about elves and humans. And the elves actually had humans as slaves. And the hybrid, like if they ever, you know, mated, what they had was, you know, some mix, human and elf, but they were always a wizard. They had magic. So they were mm -hmm. usually killed and gotten rid of. So that's what I want. So let's see him make some space wizards. They've got wizard shit going on. Yeah, why not? I, I mean, mean, why not? We got dancing clowns in space. I mean. Well, and they do have psychers who appear to be a little more stable than ours. I don't know. Do they? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he starts making magic Eldari human psychers who the, El the Eldar can't see coming. I don't know. That would be my big concern. Or maybe he perfects that technology that he used to sneak up onto the craft world. Mm -hmm. Because remember, that was crude, to say the least. He used what he had, literally. Right. Right. But maybe he perfects that, which would be a big problem if you're the Eldar. And would also help human beings out quite a bit in our whole anti-Xenos thing. Except that how do you think humans would accept a hybrid race? Um, right. So here's the thing about that. I don't even know that chaos, chaos I don't even think, would accept that. Because a lot of the legions are even very loath to work with mm -hmm. the Xenos. They all still kind of, even the Chaos guys show up and are like, ugh, Xenos. It's just programmed in. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the only, I... the only Xenos that, that any of the traitors get excited about are the Emperor's children seeing Eldar. Oh, and that's just for totally so different excited. reasons. They get so excited on it. Well, in Nubadib, they kind of, Nubadab, I can't remember though, if it's deeper dab anyways that place led by huron blackheart um they do i wouldn't say that the xenos and the humans and the renegade astartes get along per se 
but they do mingle, intermingle quite a bit, right? Especially the Loxital, they're there like in force, mm-hmm. which I got kind of excited with the Loxital. <laughs> they're one of my favorite Xenos races. So when they showed up early in the book, I was like, yay. <laughs> Especially when he's like, they have a strange sense of humor. It's like, I bet they do. So that's my big thing. And I'm hoping we see it more. But that's, on one hand, though, when I got to that, when he says that, when he's like, yeah, you must have seen something. I was like, damn, that puts a lot of pressure on Josh Reynolds now to make this like something amazing. Oh, you know, he already had that in mind. That was probably what he proposed. That's what he sent in to Nick Kime when he proposed doing this trilogy. Probably, yes. Um, I should say I have full faith. The man who could pull off St. Dreadnought has a lot of faith for me and can pull off most anything. And he made White Scars cool again. He did. You know what? Actually, on those lines, I for, we'll talk more about this in a second, but I actually kind of liked Sakara. The word bearer? Oh, Sakar. Sakar was it Sakara or Sakara? I thought it was just Sakar. No, I could be wrong. But anyways, I, I liked him too. He was sassy. He was kind of sassy for a guy with also, a time bomb in his chest. Can you imagine? And it's a bill bomb, so God even knows what it's made out of. Like other people and stuff. Well, so let's dive into that a bit because who knows where that's all, been. Dude, that's a legit concern. <laughs> it's probably been incubating in a death guard and had been used previously and I don't know, somebody else and yeah, made with parts that he found on a battlefield somewhere. <laughs> it's not sanitary is all I'm saying. It actually really cracked me up whenever they would talk about like noticing that people's prostheses had infections around it. And I was like, do you guys care? Are we caring about that? Are you guys surprised? Do you even... When was the last time that you cleaned your Narthesium? Right. (laughs) Yeah. When was the last time you took your Not on a scalp. That doesn't count. That is just gross. The scalp stuff was gnarly. Especially the guy. They're using them as cleaning rags for their daggers. Like, you've made your point. All right. Anyways, Bill's cohort, so the people in his uh, consortium, they're all very, they're all very different, right? So let's, let's break it down. Sakara, or Sakara, Sakara, doesn't matter. Anyways, the word bearer, he's an interesting guy. Here you have somebody who is absolutely a devout follower of the gods. He doesn't just, like, this man knows the gods are a real thing, and he believes in them. Yes. He was and he oddly... talks to them. Yes. In his spare time. <laughs> I did like when he would every now and then just be like, the Neverborn know about you. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, it was oddly threatening the way he talked sometimes. But he was oddly reserved to being Bill's slave, I guess you would call it. Well, what else could he do? I guess, but he had that one conversation with Oleander, and I can't remember what page it was on, but where he's basically like, it is what it is. Gotta do what I gotta do. And 
I liked when Arian said that for a man as devout as he is, he certainly isn't in a hurry to meet his gods. No, and I think that's a common theme <laughs> with most of them. Yeah. That's actually a common theme in a lot of fantasy as well. It is. When they turn to the dark side, mm -hmm. they don't want to die and be with their gods because they know they got eternal punishment because they haven't fulfilled whatever whim the god wanted them to do. Right. Well, he actually reminded me a lot of some of the characters from uh, Apocalypse, but they were a little more sanguine about how hey, look, gods use you till they're done with you. Right. <laughs> he was still kind of like, I still have use. <laughs> but I oddly liked him. I think Which, he knows he's going to die, but mm -hmm. he wants it to not be because of Phil. Phil's dirty bomb he has in his chest. Yeah. I don't know why. The whole thing... Actually, a lot of the stuff in Warhammer 40k grosses me out, but for some reason, like, the surgeries that Bill does, I'm just like, that's not clean. Perfect. The one he was doing on himself when Oleander popped in. Just had himself laid open and was cutting out cancer. I mean, as one does. Right. Again, you can add that to my list of nope, 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 nope. It's driving me crazy now. I'm like flipping to all these pages and I cannot find a page with his name on it. But he was an interesting guy. So then let's compare him to one of the other minor, minor-ish guys, the Iron Warrior. Okay. Zemiskis. He's my favorite. My favorite as well. And he died, and I'm pissed. I was although so it, mad. Although, it was obvious he was going to, because Bill, like, laid it out in black and white early on. Nice foreshadowing, but still. Actually, as soon as there was a character, a chapter, a point of view character, uh, chapter from him, I was like, oh. Oh, he's gonna die. I... So, Zemiskis was interesting. Oh, dang, All of I was these guys, wrong. It is Sakara. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was. I was like, no, there was an A on the end of that. I'm telling you there was. Um, one of the things, it's a constant theme throughout all of these books that we read, the Black Legion books, even a, to a little bit of an extent, the Hansu Chronicles and uh, the Night Lord series, but these guys so desperately want brotherhood. And I wrote, nobody. Okay, I wrote that down too. I was like, you know, here's another traitor seeking brotherhood they just want to be part of something still and i think especially with zemiskis he just wanted to be he just wanted to be a brotherhood he just wanted to have purpose again right rather than this mindless fighting of the long war and the whole i don't know the whole vow of silence or that the implied vow of silence that this man took i really would like like a whole other short story about zemiskis Oh, I'm wondering if something had happened to him and he can't speak because it, you know, the one, the chapter that was from his point of view and it was talking about how he smiled, but with what was left of his face. So I'm like, maybe he can't speak. It could, well, because remember he says brother at the end there, but yeah, I mean, it's, he reminded me a lot of Snake Eyes. Um, yeah, Joe references, he read the comics, that makes sense. Um, they, yeah, I, there was something, but there was something just so tragic about him that also because he just wants brotherhood and to get that he is in figuratively in bed 
with the most arrogant man who doesn't give a shit about brotherhood. Right, but that arrogant man treasures him. Very much so. That actually surprised me when Bill, like you could tell Bill and Arian both were not pleased. Right. At the death of Zemiskis. Okay, so then let's talk about our two larger players. We'll get to Oleander last because there's the most to say about him, but Arian, also looking for brotherhood. Also, there's kind of an implication that, yes, he does like to kill because he's a word bearer and that's just as they do. I mean, world eater. World eater. Good God. But I love my, I love my sassy world eaters. Um, but there was an interesting, not only does he have that need for brotherhood, but this idea that he was very soft-spoken, he was very in control of his emotions, that he's trying to fight against what they've become. Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, he wants brotherhood so badly, he killed his closest brothers and then still wears their skulls around his neck because, and he talks to them. What is up one with, does. What is up with the skull talking? I mean, seriously. I, I don't know. And I'll be really honest. I, okay, he is a chaos person, so it kind of made sense. Um, I liked it as a character beat for him because he was all like, I liked when he was talking with Oleander early on and then he kind of looks down at one of the skulls and he's like, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I, I liked that. I thought that was really neat. But I'm kind of over the skull talking thing. Yeah, I've seen it too much lately. I mean, I know that Fulgrim started it with Ferris, so he made it look cool, but we don't need to have everybody doing it. He did not make it look cool. He made it look creepy as <laughs> shit, too. Like, it, I guess it's because, I don't know if everybody just wants Yorick, but I, I guess you can build, you can blame old Billy Shakes for that, but I don't know. It's a little weird to me. Well, um, I mean, if anyone would have read William Shakespeare, it would have been Fulgrim. Right, or Bill. I mean, these guys. Well, I mean, Bill anything. freaking quoted Robert Frost, so yes, I mean. Did. Which you guys... The idea that 30,000 years from now, fucking Robert Frost survives, just shoot me. Okay, I like Robert Frost poetry. I'm sorry. I have his whole, like, I have a couple of his anthologies. So you can add that to the list of, in an English class in college, I had a teacher who it was his favorite. Okay, that would kill me. I never had a teacher who loved it. That's why it, it's kind of like Melville, where you have a teacher who's just like, well, this is the greatest work of known to mankind. And you're like, oh, so now this sucks. See also the catcher in the rye for me. But I didn't get catcher in the rye. As in, I'm not saying because we're not boomers. I'm not saying I didn't get it and that, yes, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I can follow along in the book. I can tell you what happened. I don't get what was the big deal about it. It's because, as I wrote in a paper, which got an F because it was my teacher's favorite novel, we're not fucking boomers. If we had been teenagers when that book came out, I'm sure it would have been hot shit. But reading it in the mid-90s, it was not. <laughs> you're reading it and you're just like, okay. Well, I finished it. I was like, a hat. I was like, am I missing something? 
you know what you can add to that list the graduate that the whole part with his character being unsure of what he what he wanted to do and everybody at the time was like this is like i don't again Gen X did not understand those movies. No, see, Gen X reacted to Avenue Q instead. There's a whole song about what do you do with the major in English. BA in English, and it hits way too close to home. Yes, two of us, BAs in English. Yeah, you get a job in technology, obviously. Obviously. And, And host book clubs about Warhammer 40k. This is, I'm living the dream. I don't know about you, but. To be fair. <laughs> yes, to be fair. But my world eater. <laughs> I think. Is he living the dream? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, he, maybe. I mean, he likes to he's do not his a raging, And he's not a raging psychopath and he gets to murder things every now and then. So. In the name of science. Hashtag best life. I mean, how many. Let's be honest here. How many World Eater apothecaries were there? Okay, so I had that same thought. When they said that he was an apothecary with the World Eaters, I was like, there must have been like three of you. Responsible for getting all the progenoids. Right, well, there's probably like, what, 10,000 World Eaters before the heresy? And they've got like three apothecaries. Like, oh, I cut myself. Someone get Arian. (laughs) He's on a different planet. Fuck. (laughs) It's not my own. I, yeah, the fact that they even, that was actually something I laughed about because when they mentioned that he was a world leader, I was like, oh, right. They would have had those. Not a lot of them. No, because I, and I can't imagine one trying to fix um, or heal Angron at any point in time. Can you, I just think no. I, you know what, though? I don't think Angron... Like, Angron's the Black Knight from Monty Python. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> like, shake it off. Like, yeah, part, like all of them, really. Like, they must have just been so bored. Like, just sitting there like that. I could sew that hand, that arm back on. Now I'm good. Okay. Is anyone gonna die so I can at least take your progenoid glands? You know, have some use oh. here? No? Okay, I'm cool. Well, actually, I would imagine there would just be too many. You'd just be like, all right, who were the five best of these guys? I don't have time for this. <laughs> who were the five of this company I did not want to kill? Right? Well, God, for Arian, considering that he killed all of his former brothers. <laughs> Carrie, well, do me a favor. If I, if to you be to fair, someday, to be fair they, they were trying to take his skull and give it to, you know, put it on the throne. So... To be fair. So it's only fair that he wears them around his neck for eternity, I guess. Okay, I take that back. If I show up and try to kill you, you have my permission to kill me first and wear my skull. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, please don't talk to it. So No, you're not going to be my Yorick. I'm sorry. I'm not going to, you know, or my Ferris. I'm not going to sit you up on a stand and talk to you. (laughs) Just read one of the books and just be like, dude, I told you Bill was crazy. (laughs) why do you like the world eaters anyways um so okay you have all these people and then you have oleander first off can i say really quickly okay the fact that he was willing to die at the end when he's like why did you try to kill me and they're like uh because that's part of the story you need to die and he's like yeah okay 
you should do the thing so that we can rebuild the third. I was like, holy shit. I didn't think he was that committed to the cause. No, you know, honestly, Oleander was someone who kind of kept me guessing throughout. Because in the beginning, like, I knew that it was, there was more to it than we want your help in getting this craft right. world. That was, it was, you know, I knew there was more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Now, the Harlequins I didn't see coming, but I don't think mm-hmm. anybody did. Um, right. To be fair. And so, but even then, I was like, okay, I don't know what your game is. Are you trying to over, just overthrow the Radiant? Because, okay, I can kind of understand that. But then he would talk about, like, how the third lost its way and how awful the third is. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what you're doing. And then you're the end. And he's like, I'm trying to make the third great again. I'm like, dude, I don't, I'm having trouble following your train of thought and how you're doing this because it doesn't make any sense. And Well, and he kept telling so many lies. And bringing bile into the head of this. Like, how does that make any sense? Why don't you just go try to join the Phoenix Conclave? And because I- Idolon's still apparently he's still alive and kicking around. Let him mm-hmm. be in charge. <laughs> Going back to Sakara real quick, when he quoted both Kyorpharon and Erebus, I was like, "You're the worst." Especially when he quoted like their seventy-fifth sermon, and I was just like, "Yeah, I rolled my eyes at both of those." I was like, I "Nobody cares too. what they think." No, literally nobody cares about these people. They are the worst ever. Anyways, um, but I think, and this was a good, this was deft handling from Josh Reynolds, Oleander's lies. I don't even know if he knew what he really wanted because he was telling everybody else a different story. And every time, every time he was like, every time he would be like, oh, by the way, I maybe haven't been totally truthful. I was like, you don't say. I love the way Bill handled it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, like when he first said, I haven't, Master, I haven't been entirely truthful. And he was just like, oh, I totally imagined him being condescending Wonka. <laughs> so right, like, with the, like, yeah. you don't say. You don't say. I never saw that coming. <laughs> I was totally shocked. <laughs> this is my shocked well, face. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or actually, but he he would point to one of the screaming faces and be like, "No, that's my shocked face." Right, exactly. Like, this is my shocked face right here. Yeah. Um, but he kept it so well obfuscated that I couldn't even really figure out what his end game was. But I also thought because he has a conversation earlier on where he heavily implies that the radiant is going to die and I'm going to take over this twelfth. What's we're left of the twelfth? With Bill as my man. But I thought that it was more if he would take over leadership of it and then just Bill would just be his apothecary and life would be good. He didn't want to be a leader. Right. But he said that. But then I was totally figuring on the end, him being like, I totally want to be a leader. So the fact that he didn't, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, he really just... He wants the third to be great again, and he didn't see the Radiant doing it. Right. Oh, no, for sure not. Well, but the Radiant, all he wanted to do was to become a demon and go, you know, hang out with Fulgrim. That's all he wanted. So I don't know mm-hmm. what he was doing on the Phoenix Conclave, because it's not like he was promoting the, the third to, to become great again. You right. Know, 
But I just can't imagine him really thinking that Bill would become a member of this conclave and deal with Eidolon and um, Lucius. Especially not Lucius. I'm surprised Eidolon's dealing with Lucius, to be honest. I mean, I actually kind of wish Eidolon was dead. Right. Because he was a horrible, horrible being. So is Lucius. They all are. Well, Lucius, like, I, Lucius, I know why he's not dead. Right. I mean, he's the Undying Blade. I was so going to say, is it because his name is the Undying? There is that. Yes, he's the There's Undying that. Blade. Well, and Lucius literally sell his best friend up the river to survive another day. Yeah. He's the kind of guy he is. Um, I guess, yeah, so in the, in the sight of all of that selfishness and stuff... I was really surprised that Oleander was like, no, all of this sex, drugs, and jam bands, this stuff, this is not a few, this is not the way of the future. This is just us being idolaters. We are not doing anything at this point. Mm-hmm. I guess my next question for them is, is that, so what do you guys want the third to do? Right. Well, and also, I don't think, I don't know if they realize that to become the third again, all the slandish shit's gotta go. Right. You can't have flocks of noise marines nesting in your ship like yeah, pigeons. Yeah, so Mr. Reynolds, if you listen to this, can you explain the nesting thing to me? It really cracked me up because, again, I just pictured, I just pictured them being like pigeons. Like you just wake up one day and you're like, oh God, the pigeons are nesting. I, so funny and I mean, the fact that they just can't again they're jam bands they're demonic jam bands <laughs> just fish playing on one side of your house all day <laughs> would you say fish and ween <laughs> fish and ween <laughs> just simultaneously I grew up in the 90s um, I just can't really I just cannot imagine yeah, that, that shit's gotta go. You can't have that. You can't have a man dancing around with demonettes to ABBA. Sorry, you guys, Dancing Queen played in my head every time the Radiant came on. See, and for me, it was David Lee Roth. Also accurate. I could absolutely picture the Radiant being like, Zim up. I, it's just... You can't have any of that. All of that has to go for you to regain anything that approaches the third. And good luck, honey. Good luck. But at the same time, if they want to go back to Fulgrim, because there's something they kept saying that they, you know, the third, they wanted to get Fulgrim back and lead them again. You can't really give up the Slanesh stuff. Fulgrim is kind of Slanesh's little bitch. Right. And it... I guess the thing that I, I, with Oleander especially, it actually, I kept thinking about one of the things, sorry, again, from the Night Lords, when Zarl is talking with Mercutian and he just says, these glory days you think exist, they never did for the Eighth Legion. And there is no way for us to go back to that. And for the third, what glory do you want to attain? Because there was when you were in service to the emperor, 
when you guys were arguably probably the perfect guys, but then as soon as you guys divert from the Emperor, this is what you become. Well, I mean, the third was always, you know, from reading the Fulgrim Primark novel, the third mm -hmm. was always... Third was always trying to prove their worth was the big right. thing. And it's because that's, you know, you go back to actually why Fulgrim was called the Phoenician. He was when he took over, there was, you know, their gene seed was in, was unstable and over half of them were gone, you know, kind of like the thousand sons, their gene seed was unstable and there was only a thousand left, which is where they got their name at the time. It was the same thing with the um, Emperor's children, but, you know, the Fulgrim was found much later than, than Magnus was. Mm -hmm. So... You know, in the very beginning of the Fulgrim Primark novel, he talks about how that, you know, the Space Wolves, like Lehman Russ in particular, was goading him, like, like, oh, you don't get your own, because they didn't have their own expedition. They were always kind of coming in after others. They didn't have their own. And so the book was actually about his very first expedition mm -hmm. on their own, and he almost gets killed because of his arrogance, his desire to prove he's worth something he nearly gets killed right. they're proud they're right. very proud it's just this constant need to prove their worth so they really didn't have much glory you know they right because not long after you know the primark novel you have them landing on that slanish planet and finding the talking sword and and all that i mean that was their last expedition well, and one of the things that really struck me is when they talk about how, um, when they're having that conversation and they talk about how, Joe, you remember in the old days, how we would stay up all night talking about philosophy and all of these things, right? And do you, do you ever, I don't know if people have those friends from high school or college, they'd gradually drop off over time, but the people who were like, oh man, we should just go hang out like we used to in the old days. and. A, it's not going to be the same, and B, no, we're adults now. It doesn't quite work that way. Um, but it, they remind me of those people who are just like, oh, man, we peaked in high school or college, and we just want to go back to those days. You can't. Especially right. not with as much as you worship. Like, walking through the Radiance ship, and I don't, I have to imagine that Josh Reynolds did that on purpose. It's like, look, just, just look at this shit. <laughs> like, this shit's bonkers. There's no going back from this. There is no reclaiming the third. Right. Which, when Bill says in the end, like, this would be a fool's errand. It and even Oleander knows that. I mean... Does he? I think he does. And that he... Well, he knows the Radiant is not the one to lead the third to, to greatness again. Right. Because he's too into the Slanesh culture. Mm -hmm. But he's, like, really desperate to bring the twelfth back into particularly the 12th huh? I, I think it's because that's where they all were and like he was right. from the 12th and uh Casper so obviously it's the best Casperos was the 12th and I guess that that may be like the one company that has the most <laughs> Emperor's children just all hanging out together after Canticle City I, you know obviously they all got split up in different ways and yes people are oddly blasé about that about what by canticle city about canticle city like when the radiant sees him and he's like oh people were super angry about that oh well 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, he's got demonhood on the horizon. That, so. To be fair. To be fair. And he was actually looking for, when he ascended, he wanted Bill to take over and make the third grade again. I yes. Okay, so I haven't read, obviously, all the Horus Heresy. So I don't know Bill as this great commander. I only know him as the spider in the cave doing his experiments. Was he some great commander? He must have been at one point in time. Or was it just that he was that commander at Canticle City? So I have to say, I have only read 20 or something so of the Horus Heresy books because I'm fucking over them. When they were talking about this, you know, oh, yes. The lieutenant commander, the lieutenant commander. I was a little surprised by that too. Um, again, I do remember him being in more of a leadership role, but most of the books that I've read him in, he's the mad scientist. Right. And he shows up to be this creepy foil in the background, right? So I too was kind of like, oh, huh. Okay. Like, why is everyone clamoring for this guy? Other than the fact, like, I understood why people wanted him because of his ability to create stable gene stable gene seed and all of that kind of stuff like that'll make sense if you want what's in his brain got it leadership qualities i don't know I've, like i said like i've never seen him as a leader mm -mm. so that to me and i'm sure and okay i also have to say i'm not an emperor's children fan and i never have been so other than fulgrim and I cannot think of the name of the book right now, but there's another book where they're very prominent. Uh, oh, Angel Exterminatus, obviously, but there's another one that I'm missing. If it has the Emperor's Children in it, I'm not interested. <laughs> this book was an odd choice for us. <laughs> because I was like... And you even bought, no. you bought it when it first released and you got the hardcover and everything. I did. I did. But it took me four years to read it. So that should tell you something. <laughs> Sitting on my... It's, it's a very handsome spine on my bookshelf. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the Emperor's Children. I've actually learned that in all my years of reading fantasy novels, you have children in the name. I'm generally not interested. You always turn out bad. I mean, no, it's or true. creepy. It's true. Like, go back and look through your fantasy novels, starting with um, Wheel of Time. I know, but it's 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 there. Do we have anyway, to? What? Do we have to? No, I'm just saying most people yeah, are probably uh, Wheel of Time fans. I'm sorry. But it, it starts in there. But um, the only inkling I have towards Emperor's Children is I feel sad for Fulgrim. But he, and I liked Saul. I really liked Saul. Everyone likes Saul Targets. <laughs> He's just such a good guy. And there was that other commander, because there was two commanders. There was Eidolon and somebody else. And I don't remember his name right now, but he was also on Istvan. He did not go down uh, to the planet. He, his ship crashed before then. So that, that's oh, I what, can't think of his name right was now. Was Solomon? Was that his name? No, that was the second no. captain. Yeah, it does, no. it, Solomon didn't make it down there either. It doesn't matter. That guy. Yeah, but, you know... Those guys, because I understood what they were all about. They were all about, again, proving their worth. For his children, they were tired of being, you know, kind of shat on and everything. Mm -hmm. But Lucius, never liked Lucius. 
Never liked Eidolon. Um, especially, God, after the way he acted with the uh, Blood Angels getting killed. He's just like, whatever. Like, dude. <laughs> okay, you know. Um, but I always just felt so bad for Fulgrim. And but that's the only side I feel with the Emperor's children. Right. Other than that, they are creepy motherfuckers. You need to somehow get strangled with their own, like, scalp capes. I don't know what else to say about them, but it's just... One of the things in this book that, like, I don't know, for some reason I was so... Sh I had such a sharp reaction to you talking about how creepy they are. When it's toward the end, when they're on the ship and they're kind of going through their plan and the Radiant comes in with his little demonettes following him. And they all start dancing and they talk about how all the Emperor's children lean forward to watch them. Like, they're just dudes at a strip club. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, it just... Yes. It's so anathema to space marines, right? Everything Where, about Slanesh is anathema. Totally. But for some reason, that scene in particular, I was just like, ugh. Man, I remember awful. you telling me about the Emperor's children and, you know, the Slanesh worshippers. And they're like, you know... Uh, like they're all a bunch they're a bunch of murder fuckers I'm like ha, ha ha that's so funny and then I read Fulgrim like oh my and I texted you I was like there is murder fucking <laughs> and you're like yes yeah. and yeah. even when that big you know opera happens where they summon a demon in the middle of that and you had space marines stripping their armor for some murder fucking I'm like I don't know what's happening right now and Fulgrim's just like I'm as a fun fact about the Warhammer 40k universe, and this is actually one of the reasons that I really like Warhammer 40k, and I want you to really think about this, given that we're talking about the Emperor's children and we're talking uh, specifically about that Fulgrim novel. In modern science fiction and in fantasy, the new hotness, and I, honestly, I believe you can thank George R.R. R. Martin for this, but um, I can picture the books right now, but I can't think of the name of it right now, but one of the shorthands for any female backstory or just prove that you're writing a mature story is sexual violence. Yes. These books are totally fucking devoid of it. And by God, Black Library, I love you for it. Oh, yeah. Well, but I have mean, you noticed like how we like we're talking about the emperor's children? Yes. No, I mean, because there were some scenes where they talked about, you know, in the darkness with the slaves, you you know what's going on. And they talk yes. about the screams, but they never say what's going on. Right. But they also talk about how the slaves, because remember one of the things with Slanesh, they love pain as well. Right. They kind yes. of imply, because remember they say they talk about the, the slaves screaming and the uh, Adeptus Astartes screaming. Yes. So there's just some kinky shit going on in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, like, very much so. But that's always been my problem with the George R. R. Martin books. And yes, Jen and I both read them before they were cool. So don't even get on our case about this. But that was... I bought Clash of Kings when it was in hardback. There you go. Um, I uh, My biggest problem I had with reading it was the constant just rape everywhere. I was like... I don't understand why this is necessary to have. I still don't to this day. 
I understand that you want to you want to say that well this would have been historically accurate because that's a thing that happens and yes of course it is and I have no doubt that it happens in the 41st millennium and when you're talking about the emperor's children I have no doubt it's a thing but it's become such a tawdry oh this is a mature novel you want to know how this is mature sexual violence right. it's become just such a tawdry thing that the fact that it does it's nowhere in these books at least none of the ones that i've read and i've read a shit ton of these books props and right. kudos that's just an aside that i had to point because, out because in this book especially well because they know it's not necessary they'll let your imagination right. take over because you know what slanesh is all about they'll let your imagination do it because they and they don't have any need to to describe it and that's why right. like i understand i'm not saying that the rape wasn't neat you know necessary I guess and George R. R. Martin was not necessary was constantly bringing it up and yes. describing it constantly mm-hmm. we and the HBO show was particularly bad about oh, it. the HBO show put in more rapes than there were in the books by far Pretty much. and I think it was HBO just going okay we got fantasy and to get everybody into this besides the book readers we're going to show lots of boobs and sex it was the CEO of tits at HBO. Yeah. He lost his job for a season, but they brought him back for the eighth season. Um, right. But that was just, those are those things that, especially going into this book, when they got onto the Radiant ship, I was like, oh, I bet you this is going to be the first book that crosses that line. No. No. It's all implied. So, all implied, all inferred, never described. Right. That, so, seriously, kudos. Like, <laughs> feminist kudos um for the clone lord wait what uh well and you know this would be the one nice thing i'll ever say about the twilight novels the one nice thing i'll ever say oh god but uh edward and bella like their wedding night and after that it's never described it's true hinted and they talk about the aftermath, which I thought was pretty funny, that there's all these feathers everywhere from the pillows exploding. Jesus. But you didn't get into the gritty details. Well, because that was made for all, all ages. I, which, okay, if maybe, you try to argue that, sometimes people argue that with Warhammer 40k, and I'm like, have you read any of these books? Okay, well, maybe that's what I need. Maybe I'm just not, you know, I'm just not mature enough for these books that just delve into that. No, it's just, it's a, it's a lowbrow way of being shocking. Yeah. Like, oh, this will shock the straights or the shock the squares. <laughs> Guys, it's We've been shocked. We We've through, been shocked. We've been through the 90s, okay? Yeah, pretty much. So. I mean, how many of you guys um, had the original appetite for destruction with the artwork on the inside? <laughs> if you, if you had that, you'll understand that. Yes, show. you will. So one thing about this book that I want to mention is that this is the very first book that we've read as a book club that deals with the Harlequins, a.k.a. the theater children in space. Um, and I say that as a former theater kid. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> it takes one to know one. Um, I was not a theater kid. I was in the band. I would have been a noise marine. Nesting. <laughs> yes, nesting. <laughs> Well, I mean, depending on your marching uniform, you probably had the feathers. I did have the plume. In both high school and in college, we had the plumes. See? Y'all were nesting. Yep. And you didn't even know it. So, how did you feel about them as 
foils, for one thing. They're kind of creepy, actually. Okay, well, you're going to get any, like, clown thing in that's going to be creepy. And Harlequins have always creeped me out. Uh, like, I know that was, like, Picasso's, like, favorite thing to paint, but it just... Hmm. I think it's weird. I've never liked it's super it weird. for um, Mardi Gras and stuff. I just find the whole thing weird. You know, actually what it reminded me of, that whole dance scene with them coming in and, you know, with the murdering, reminded me of a certain um, assassination in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yes. Yes, indeed. And I thought that was stupid then. And I think this is stupid now. That's just me. You know what? And it's nothing against Josh Reynolds. I just can't take the Harlequin seriously, really. And so. Well, he didn't okay. invent the Harlequins. I mean. No, 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 no. So, but, I mean, we can't. It's nothing against him. He didn't. No, no. He them. did the best he could with them. I just can't take him seriously either. And I think part of it is because my family's from Louisiana. And growing up, my mother collected these, har these porcelain Harlequin figures. And if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds fucking creepy. You don't know the half of it. My um, aunt has them too. Oh God, she had like 20 of them in our living room. And at nighttime, they were so scary, you guys. Anyways, that's all I picture are these stupid, and some of them, they had bells on them and stuff. So like, I just imagine these little stuffed bells jingling about. And actually one of the scenes that I think really heightened is in that market, that initial fight when Oleander's like, okay, I just got to figure out the rhythm. And he grabs that one person and he's like, someone's out of step dude how can i take this seriously right. <laughs> i they're space theater kids they also are... how elf cliche is it for them to be acting out a play while murdering i've seen that and i don't know how many fantasy novels <laughs> yeah well and again being a theater kid in the 90s I just imagine them acting out rent. Oh my god. People, right? <laughs> so, Haven't you seen rent? They all get kicked out. So it's like, it's not guys and dolls and it's not um um uh, Come on, Jets and the Sharks, help me here. Oh West Side Story. Yeah, West Side Story. That's the one I would imagine is some coming out. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all singing Tonight Tonight, and somebody got off key and was singing the Maria part. They weren't supposed to. Um, yeah. Or most so, likely, knowing the Eldar, it was I Feel Pretty. Oh, so pretty. Um, yes, pretty much. I, uh, I just can't take him seriously. Now, I will say that Josh Reynolds did a really good job with the creepiness of them. So like when they would just appear on the, like, cause I picked their boxes and their yeah, gorgets yeah. when they would just appear in the box talking every now and then in that little sing songy cadence that they have, that was pretty creepy. Yes. Which like that, that's some it shit right there. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> that is straight up some Agreed. Pennywise fuckery. Um, that was effective, but Again, you guys are just this huge, long game so that you can kill this one guy and get Bill to take over. It just seems... That's what they all do. 
It's like the Rube Goldberg of plots. That's the elves. I mean, of that's, plans. But that's elves in general. I, yes, but you guys, at some point, don't they take a step back and be like, you know, we could have just killed this motherfucker and this would have been so much easier. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> like, it. they totally could have in the marketplace. He had no idea they were there. So one of my favorite guilty pleasures is every now and then I love to watch telenovelas from Mexico. <laughs> they are so dramatic, you guys. Gasps in Spanish. Um, I love them because they're so dramatic. Like, that's what this reminds me of, though. Like, this is the I've secretly been having an affair with your sister while in a disguise on an island with a person who's supposedly been dead for all these times but hasn't really been dead and has been living under an assumed identity and has been having an affair with this but like it's at some point might I suggest just killing this person (laughs) like did you really and especially especially when the radiance starts ascending to demonhood and then that's when they I'm like really you there wasn't a single point before this when you could have just killed him. You just but, let oh, him no, kill... That's not part of the story. We don't go off script. <laughs> so let him kill all these Eldar. So uh... how did you like him distending his jaw and tearing his skin to swallow another stone? I thought of you when that happened. I Okay, so if you haven't listened to this podcast before and you just joined us tonight because you're an Emperor's Children fan, one of my trigger issues that I can't stand in books is when they talk about people smiling too wide or their jaws opening too wide, which is why I really hate the noise marines. Um, and they talk about that. I actually pictured the Radiant looking like Sephiroth basically for the whole time because they talked about his beautiful androgynous face when he smiles and they talk about how it's just a little too large. <laughs> and yes, I think it would have bothered me more except in Storm of Iron one of uh, Perturbo's captains ascends to demonhood, okay. and he does something very similar, except he's eating Imperial gene, imperial Fist Gene Seed, as one does. Um, I, I don't know how else, you know, that the Iron Warriors ascend to demonhood. They gotta eat the blood of their enemies, so... <laughs> Pretty much. And they have a chip on their shoulder over Dorn, so why not? Pretty much. They, um, yeah, so I think that part I was like, yeah, okay, totally got it. Um, I know that this is just as they do. As soon as he, as soon as Bill was like, there's going to be a lot of spirit stones in there. And the Radiant mentioned wanting to ascend. Oh, oh, he's going to do the thing. But again, like you sacrificed how much stuff just so you could get a better, a more dramatic way to kill this guy. Dude, I don't get it either. The Eldar are stupid. So I'm, just, I'm just gonna say that. But you know they have to like Sorry, follow. Apparently, they decided that this was all going to be a certain story. Right. Well, it is. So, you know, well, what about it? If you think about it, like just looking at Shakespeare, right? You could probably plan to kill anyone to the story of any Shakespeare play. Yeah. Yes, even Twelfth Night. Um, <laughs> literary humor. Um, I, yeah, of course not. Why not? Like, and I just imagine. See, now I'm trying to think of how you'd kill someone using 12th night, but go on ahead. (laughs) 
that shows a lack of creativity. Someday, when we are space theater kids and we're Harlequins, <laughs> we can figure it out. But I just love to imagine that somebody got this vision and then like all the Harlequin troops got together and was like, who knows a story that fits this? And they're like going back through their college textbooks. What, what about the King of Sunflame? Oh yeah, that one might work. The King of Feathers, good God. I got nothing on this, I really don't. I really don't either. I, yeah, the, again, this book was such a character study and really focusing it on Bill, that the Harlequins, I think they were okay as a villain, as being less compelling, just because, and I know that's just a new thing. I don't, I can't even really consider them being a villain, to be honest. I guess not, huh? I think, if anything is a villain, it'd be to quote Bill here, it would be fate, because he doesn't believe in fate. Actually, I loved his quote on it, that fate is used by weak-willed people to blame their failures. I did like that a lot, actually. But, you know, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff about like that that I was like, mm. um, a lot of his, his meandering I didn't really like, but that particular quote, was like, yeah, that's, that's true. And I guess fate kind of is. It's him fighting against it, right? He's constantly fighting against his fate. Right. Well, and you know what actually what I thought about was that um, the Rachel Harrison Saint book that we read. Do you remember there's that part where the Inquisitor is talking about how if she didn't know that fate already existed, she would definitely believe in it because her two assistants keep getting drawn back to each other even after she mind wipes them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought about her specifically and I was like, you and Bill should talk. The thing about so, Bill is that he yeah. says he forges his own path. Right. I wonder how true that really is, or if he's just forging the path that people aren't trying to force him into. Right. It could be, honestly. Because he keeps Which talking guess... about how everyone wants him in a separate cage. He's like, they don't want to kill me. Mm -hmm. They want me in this cage or they want me in that cage. They want to shackle me to leadership. Which, in a way, he's kind of put himself in his own cage then. Right. Which I guess we're going to find out about because to celebrate our quarantine. I mean, we got nothing else to read. Our next book is Clone Lord with what is probably the creepiest cover I've ever seen. Yeah. That smile. It's, uh... I'm guessing this is the new body. I'm guessing so. Dude, if this book starts and he's like, I still have the shitty body, I'm gonna be like, excuse you. That one mm. was dying. So, yeah, I'm excited to read this one, though. This, um, I actually... Okay, so for just having liked this book, I did get to the end of it and was like, oh, okay, time to read the next. Let's see so, what this crazy bastard does next. Dude, seriously. Well, and he just got new friends. He has Merricks and Savona. And, you know, hopefully, and it looks like... It looks like he's making friends with Necrons next. That's what I was going to say. It looks a little Necron-y. Yeah. So, you mm. know, Bill and the Necrons. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
That's totally yeah. what I should. That's totally the nickname for this. Bill and the Necrons. <laughs> Bill and the Necrons. Making friends, I'm sure. You want to take us out? The Ken? way that only Necrons can, and that's by killing everybody. It's just kind of how you do in the 40K universe. That's what I've learned. The only way to make <laughs> friends is to kill everybody else. And then where their skulls. Obs. I do great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Fabius Bile, uh, primogenitor. Be sure to listen to uh, I've you know what, this quarantine has like ruined my ability to speak because I don't talk to very many people except for my kids. Anyway. Be sure to join us for our next book, which is Fabius Bile, Clone Lord, also by Josh Reynolds. What? I know, right? Get out. I know. We are an unofficial book club, but not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And this is like the worst time to be asking this. I realize that after I made it go live last week, but we have a Patreon. <laughs> so I understand this is like the worst time to be uh, saying, hey, we have a Patreon, donate money. But we do have a Patreon. We have two different tiers. And one of the tiers uh, has extra episodes. We do have an extra vidcast and podcast episode available on there now. And we're going to have um, new uh, vidcast episodes every month on our Patreon. So we understand that this may not be the best time. But if you want to think about us in the future, that would be awesome. We love doing this. And we'd love to continue to bring more of these random um, episodes that we think of that are not actually about reading in the book club. But... In the meantime, our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night. was hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.